announcement. The hemp revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. You can hear the stories of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating the business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game forever. Introducing your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. Welcome back to the Hemp Revolution. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez, coming all the way from Denver, Colorado. And yet again, I am blowing your minds with another badass guest who is going to be talking about a little bit of a different facet of the industry that he is serving. Now, here at the Hemp Revolution, we are all about telling the stories of the people who are pushing and pioneering this industry so that folks just like yourself know exactly how you can navigate your way through the treacherous landscape of starting or scaling your very own CBD or cannabis brand, but also for those of you who are consumers, making sure that you know the story of the people who have the passion and are creating the products, or at least making sure that you know which products are available on the marketplace and can actually deliver the results that are promised on the label. So our guest today, Mr. Marco Hernandez, is the CMO of Kaizen Social, a marketing agency focused on growing e-commerce brands and the founder of Hoopla, a fast-growing premium CBD brand. Without further ado, help me give a hemp revolution welcome to our guest, Marco. What's going on, Mr. Hernandez? Hey, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and having me on your on your podcast, your show, and especially for the trust to be in front of your audience. Um, hello, everybody. You're probably going to watch the, the replay of this, so enjoy the show today. <laughs> um, for those of you guys who are tuning in with us, make sure that you check out the different links that we'll be posting around this blog to follow along with anything that's going on with Kaizen Marketing or Hoopla uh, CBD. All of the links will be posted here below. And for the meantime, just sit back and enjoy the show. Marco, marketing for CBD, probably one of the biggest bitches of our industry. <laughs> Are you specifically focused in the marketing space for CBD or do you diversify across multiple industries? Um, you know, it's actually very funny because I, I've never worked on the marketing for CBD except for myself, my own brand. <laughs> okay, cool. You're cutting your teeth on your own stuff. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I got a call the other day from somebody that said, hey, can you help me grow your, my brand? I'm like, no, I'd rather grow my brand first than help you. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an interesting animal to, to talk about, definitely. No, my background comes from e-commerce, from just traditional brands, from the fashion space, skincare, um, supplement industry. So more on, on that aspect, with, I, I try to work with a lot of brands that focus on improving the better of the, the human being. Um, I always like to to help those entrepreneurs that have a product that it's going to do some good to somebody at some point, rather than just pushing any 
useless product out there in the market. Yeah, so, change makers. Exactly. Exactly. It just aligns with my my personality overall. So Yeah, love that. Where do you live right now? Where where are you from and how did you get into the whole marketing e-commerce boom? That's a great uh, great story because right now I'm based in Dallas. I say I'm stuck in Dallas for now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not permanent, definitely. Um, so I was born in Mexico, born and raised down there. I moved to Dallas in 2011. I had my corporate job. I was doing very, very good for technology sales. So I've always been in the business development and sales side of, of the world, but just for technology. Mm. Even back then, I developed some very cool stuff that we can talk about it, but telemetry for measuring with sensors, how to irrigate correctly the, uh, the soil. And back, even back then, I said, oh, I can make a lot of money probably selling this technology to wineries and hemp and marijuana, you know, like measuring and... yeah doing all this stuff, it's still in the, in the pipeline. Nobody has built it. So probably somebody listening to this is saying, yeah, I thought about it. <laughs> um, that career burned me. Uh, it really burned me down. And uh, I built a couple of businesses, kind of hurt me at age 34. I'm 38 right now. And decided to live a lot of passive income. I, I did investments. I was traveling around the world, living the dream, you know, <laughs> the typical Instagram photograph where people are like, okay, what is this guy doing that he's making money and he's just traveling around the world? For those that are enjoying that, it's not always permanent. So you always have, a, have to have a backup plan. Um, things can go south in life. And that's what happened to me, especially really, really aggressively at the beginning of last year. But one of my mentors, Tony Robbins, but one of the things he says is you can lack resources, but you never lack resourcefulness. So what ended up happening is I put together all those pieces about how to integrate the, your, your understanding of how to do sales, how to do marketing into maybe a corporate world and translate it more into a business to consumer. And that took me to the agency space back then. And that took me to meeting interesting people like one of my mentors, Kat Howell, which took me to another level, which took me to knowing more marketers, which landed me into the CBD space. So, I like to say things Steve Jobs mentions one time. He says, you don't know what's coming until you look back and connect the dots. Why the things have happened in your life. Yes. It just acknowledge that you're there for a reason and you're just going to take it and take it as is. And you're there to, because of something greater that you can't understand until maybe 10 years later down the road. So when CBD fell, fell in my lap, this opportunity was to completely, for years I've been hearing about it, especially in, in, in following the, in the THC space. When this came, I said, you know what? I've made a lot of money to different companies. I think this is something that I can innovate in and, and take all this knowledge from other brands that I've tapped into, I've experimented, helped grow and do it for myself and recover that time freedom. So every time that I talk to an entrepreneur, I always tell this, my, my goal in life is to acquire freedom so I can enjoy the planet that we live in. We're too bound to nine to fives and like money, 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 but it's all about the quality of the life. So yeah. if I can be less stressed, if I can eat better, if I can help people with that through my businesses, I will always do it. So I love it. Tell me about Hoopla, the CBD wellness brand. Hoopla. Excited to hear. <laughs> I'm excited to, first of all, what part of Mexico are you from? Mexico City. Okay, nice. I have some good friends from Mexico City. My father's from Argentina, so immediately I resonate with the Latin, Latin 
lifestyle. And we are nomadic people, by the way. Like we are not, my father always says that one husband for an Argentinian woman is not enough because she'll eat you up and spit you out. And (laughs) and so he's like, every 20 years, you need a new husband, Sonia. (laughs) It's all right. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Anyways, just... Just a little love for for our people down there. Country, by the way. Beautiful. Huh? It's a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. I mean, the food, the women, the dancing, forget about it. Um, politics are bullshit, though. So <laughs> the soccer team, though, is really good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Hoopla. How did you get started into Hoopla? What is your guys' area of expertise? What, what, tell me, tell me all about it. So Hoopla, it's funny because the, the actual name, uh, I don't know if people know this, but the word Hoopla does exist. Uh, it's actually a word in the English language. But so when I created the brand, I, I really wanted to start with concepts so basic as having a catchy name. And we'll t- I'll talk a little bit about the product, and, but it all starts with the impression that people have about a product and, and the visual aspects. Just like when you go out dating, uh, you can meet an extraordinary person once you dig in, but we're always captivated by the first initial senses, uh, auditory, visual, kinesthetic. So if, if you as a marketer are able to conceive and relay that message with coolness, oh, this brand is nice, this brand is professional. If you're able to convey those type of messages, you're gonna build tribes. So the first foundation of my company was to build a tribe of people. Is it going to be for everybody? Absolutely not. But I want to resonate with a lot of different personalities. So Hoopla by, by itself means uh, joy. So I wanted to have a product that people can relate to the word joy. That's number one. Because you're taking a product, you want to feel good. You want to feel excited. You want to feel thrilled about life. So Hoopla represents that, number one. Um, second of all, the design in the, in the product was something that I really wanted to, to put into emphasis I'll talk a little bit about the quality and the, and the formulation. Um, but one of the things that I noticed right away in the market when I got into CBD was um, there's two types of marketing that you can do. One is brand oriented and the other is uh, application oriented. And what I noticed is a lot of these companies, they're known for the company, but they're known, not known for the product. Building a community like Twitter is not a social media. Nobody says, oh, I'm logging into a social media called Twitter. I, I tweet. So you assign a verbal action to a brand. Um, I Google. So those type of marketing concepts, I wanted to create as a foundation of the brand. So if you have a good product, but you can have a great product, but if your marketing sucks, it's never going to take off. Nobody's going to know. So it's, it's layering those things from the foundation that's been in the back of my mind present every single day. How can I get this so that it's always cool and people like it? They remember that name. Because when you ask the majority of you people who've tried CBD, hey, which brands do you know? They're like, oh, I don't know. I just bought one 300 milligrams. They don't even know the quantities. They say, well, it cost me like 40 bucks. I don't know what it is. I wanted to break that pattern. I wanted people to start remembering a brand name. Sometimes you might tell them CW. They're like, what? What is that? Charlotte's. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Like you, you have certain remembering factors that are avoiding some brands to really take off. Yeah, certain aspects of a brand which leave a lasting impression. Exactly. So I wanted to, first of all, start the brand like that. And, and two, make it really cool. I think there's a lot of unknown and a lot of stigma behind, still behind CBD. Those that are consumers like us, 
we're okay, like we don't mind. But the consumer behind it doesn't understand fully what it is. So there's a lot of evangelization process that needs to happen. And we've been slowly by little getting towards that aspect where we say, hey, it's cool, it's safe, like there's no problem. And that's one of the things that within our product, we were really, really, really strict about that. And I've done THC, I'm okay smoking, I don't care. But there's a lot of consumer market that it's not comfortable. One, because they don't like it. Two, because they really can't, because their jobs are checking constantly. So we wanted to have a product that sits in the side, in, in the middle, where people can take it safely. They don't have to worry about testing THC positive, but we're not on the isolate spectrum. So we developed a, a broad spectrum product. So that way it's easier for us to evangelize saying, hey, you're cool, don't worry about this. But we have a rich product that is full of terpenes and it's just rich in other things besides just CBD. Love that, love. So tell me a little bit about from, from the marketing. And I love the, I absolutely love the perspectives that you're offering on like key considerations when you're starting your brand. How do you approach the beginning, middle and end of building the brand? Um, so talk to me a little bit, like, let's say that you are catering to the folks who um, are budding entrepreneurs or already have an established brand and perhaps they've hit a glass ceiling. What are some key pieces of advice that you could offer them around the getting started and like, what do you do to build, you know, to, what are some key considerations for building a successful brand? Absolutely. I'd say, first of all, don't, don't fall into the hype of anything, <laughs> even though it's a very lucrative domain. It, it's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of brands popping every day because the accessibility of the business is to almost anybody, anybody can launch their own brands. I've, I've been approached by a lot of companies say, hey, can you private label me? Like, why would you even start up? Like, you understand the concept about building a brand. Do you have identity? What's your goal, your vision, mission? They don't have, they just say, oh, I just want to do CBD and make money. So I think you, you had to have clear your values of why you want to enter in this space. And not only one to two year vision, but a five year, 10 year plan. I think like anything, it's going to hit an inflection point, maybe next year, maybe in a year and a half, where a lot of brands will go away because regulation might come in stricter. So you got to foresee that, that it, this is not going to be a quick buck. You might make a lot of money real quick, but it's, you have to be very natural in a long-term game here. You got to be able to plan accordingly so that you can fulfill that supply chain that you have behind it, make your consumers happy so that they can come over and over and over. You've talked hundreds hundreds of brands and, and thousands of consumers. And you know that a lot of them have tried products and they are, yeah, I tried it, didn't really make anything to me and they drop it. If you're serious about building brand, you have to do your due diligence or you're getting sourced from what level of quality, what testing, and second, if you can scale that production. It's easy to have somebody make you three, 10, 20, 100 bottles. But if you're talking about selling 10,000 bottles a month, the story is going to change and it's going to be a real, real problem. That's business. It's not a hobby. So identifying something that you want to do maybe on the side or really you're going to take serious and, and drive down that path. I'd say that's my, my initial thoughts. For you, when you were, um, for, for you, when you were starting out your business, I think a lot of people are surprised to find out because there are so many brands popping up. I think that there's a misrepresentation in the marketplace right now to really understand like how capital intensive it is to build your brand, have that brand, you know, 
I you know, uniqueness, the unique selling proposition for your brand. But then also like, I don't think people are considering, you know, inventory, marketing, branding, all of these different things that you have to invest in. And it's a little bit of a misrepresentation because there are so many brands popping up right now. You're like, ah, you can get in for a business in a box, 10 grand and you're all good. When in fact, it really takes quite a bit more. Talk to me a little bit about how capital and time, like what's the time and what's the money investment into getting your product off the ground? Actually, you touched a very important topic. Um, I'll talk a couple of aspects, including something that happened in April. So I was very fortunate to have the right people and the right connections to, to get into the space the right way. Like any business, you have to put a lot of capital up front. I, I believe that the manufacturing space became a little bit, I don't want to say rigged, but at least they understood the way of making money had to change. So before, you need to be always a manufacturer. And you had to put millions of dollars in the, in the infrastructure to produce products. And the best example is the supplement industry. Everybody were, was their own manufacturing. Then manufacturers realized that it was easier if they could sell to the end consumers the idea that they could manufacture through them and private label and create their own brands. Yeah. And now you see thousands of different protein products. Actually, they're made by the same manufacturers. Yeah. It, it, just, it just boils down to marketing. Who's marketing better their products? Because they're all the same formulations. People are not creating innovation. It's just which one has the pretty label and which one doesn't and who's willing to drop their margins and sell cheaper. And that's about it. So there's no fun in that. And what happened a lot with CBD was very similar trend, like from people that were growing and making their products to selling, then big companies started actually private labeling to a lot of people. So a lot of brands arrive from the same sources. That's why you see the same flavors over and over and over in the market. Yeah. <laughs> they taste the same. So there's no innovation there. Uh, what we did was a different approach. So we had to establish the, the relationships in the back end with the farms. All our, our hemp is grown in Colorado. So we had to establish that. But what we did different was connect dots and create that supply chain on our own. So we have strategic partnerships in each part of the phase. So that allows us to manufacture products in a different way. So we did go down that road of trying to private label. That helps us grow volumes. But at some point you want to cut back and you want to say, well, the, the big money maker is us as a brand hitting the consumers and actually getting the source. So it's the two ends. The, the middle part, you can make a lot of money, but that doesn't ensure that the companies that you're selling the products to will make the money. So I, I in my deep core, I think that's misleading in, in, in a lot of industries, but it works for, for them. We try to do it in a different way. So we're now doing our own brands and, and that's it. So I love that. I, I love the, I love hearing the growth, you know, cause I think it's, it's like a 16 year old boy who gets in bed with a naked girl. They're like, what do I touch first? <laughs> right? Like is, we got, we, there's everything here. It's like a buffet of, of excellence. But what happens in the CBD space or in a lot of spaces is people want to be everything to everyone and they forget the value and the, and this, age old teaching amongst the entrepreneurial circles that I think we're both a part of the riches are in the niches. And this is like, this is something that the CBD space, I believe has skipped right over. And because everyone's so anxious to just get to the goodies, 
right? And then it's over in seconds and they either lost their ass or now they're over leveraged and have to bring on outside investors and they're giving away key parts of their company. And there's all different kinds of growing pains there. So what I love about what you're saying is that you too started to go through this sort of windy road of CBD entrepreneurship and wanting to take advantage of opportunity to generate cash flow. But when you really step back from the, from the picture, right? Like if, if you were to step back, if you were painting the Mona Lisa and you're stepping back to see, does this really look the way that I want it to look before going back in and finishing out the detail? It's, it's hard when you're this close to the business to step back and take perspective and make the necessary adjustments because of what you could be risking in the short term. To right. have that long-term vision of like, is this really what I want to be doing? Do I really want to be another white label brand or do I really want to be another white label manufacturer and put my time and attention and resources towards building that aspect of my business? Or do we really want to focus on direct to consumer business model and create a marketplace that has a trusted brand and a trusted resource for the consumer? Those are two different business models. It's not under one umbrella, you know, and I think that's a common mistake for new entrepreneurs approaching, especially in this space, they're seeing this as a get rich quick opportunity. They're very much treating it like that. And they're on the hustle and on the grind trying to generate cash flow rather than really getting committed to the brand values Absolutely. and creating those strategic alliances, those partnerships. There's a lot of ways to do this, by the way. There's no wrong answer, but what you do from start from phase one to phase two, phase two to phase three, putting things into sequence is so important and understanding how much time to spend on each one of these steps is so important because that's how you, that's how you avoid expensive pitfalls. I can't tell you how many companies I come across who are like, well, I'm going to develop a, a, this line and I have this line over here and then we're starting our pet thing. And I'm like, cool, which one is your bread and butter making you, well, we're going to bring on an investor so that we can do all of these other things. And I'm like, guys, I'll see you on the fucking bottom. You yeah. know, when I go there to pick up your, buy your company for pennies on the dollar. So let me know how that goes. Um, talk to me a little bit about the demographics that you want to serve with Hoopla now that you know that you're committed to creating consumer, uh, you yeah. know, direct to consumer brands. What are some of the specific marketplaces that you're going to work to target right now? So first of all, uh, what we have is premium product. So we're not going into the competition in the, in the low cost of milligram per dollar per milligram competition that a lot of big brands go into. We, we like to protect that. Just there are a few out there like, well, not, not to name, there are a few out there that maybe hover in the 8.6 milligram, nine milligram, uh, nine, nine cents per milligram range. And we want to keep that around that level. So that puts a pressure point on which audience we want to reach. Definitely, I think that, and I'll, I'll attack it in, in, in two angles. So we phased out a lot of products that were in the 300, 500 milligrams. I personally don't think that those type of products are effective for the general audience. I think we need harder and stronger strengths. And the reason is my background in biohacking and nutrition, just like you have certain protein intake and certain calorie intake, you need to accumulate certain things based on your body weight. And there are tables of reference of how, much, how many milligrams a day you need to start accumulating in your body for it to really serve. You can't just say, hey, somebody that 
is six foot six cannot take can take 500 milligrams because if it was a cheap product, $50 product. It has to come from a different angle. So what we did is we, first of all, we got rid of a lot of the products that we, I didn't think that were gonna serve as a purpose. And yeah. On, on higher concentrations. So the lowest one we do right now is 750. So that hovers in the $80 range. Well, it's actually like, I think 79 right now we have priced it at. But the premium one, the, the top seller has always been the 1500. So what we did is define the price points at the real densities that we need. So normally people buy between 750 and 1500. We developed a, at 1000 milligram. So it positions a product that has a cost of acquisition that's serious. Uh, somebody that's really serious about testing and having a good quality product that is going to deliver that benefit. So in the way I position it is it has a price point. We're not going to move over that. We're gonna, not going to fight the market. Eventually it'll go down. It'll put pressure on us because the, the larger the demand, it's going to put the price points down. But the person who's willing to put $80, $100 in their pocket or out of their pocket to buy a product, that's who I'm interested in. I'm not interested in the person who's like, oh, well, I only got $50. I'm going to buy it and see how it goes because it's not going to work that way. If somebody in, in the U.S. currently does not have $100 to put through their health, they are in, in problems in other aspects, not because of my product, because of being in a, in a higher price point or not. So I created the brand to think about a demographic that's in the 25 to 50 year old. So it's flexible enough. I'm not interested in the Snapchatter that it's 18 year old that vapes. Cool. Good stuff. Stay with that. But you're not going to invest in your health with a good product. You're going to blow it on whatever you want on that weekend, or you're going to go out drinking. So it's going to be contradictory and you're going to see it as an expense rather than an investment in your health. That's how I, I put the product in. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And for those of you guys who are listening, one of the most powerful tools that you could ever go through or powerful exercises that you could ever go through is getting really laser focused on who you want to serve, understanding the key intricacies. Like I love Marco, how you just isolated out the difference between somebody who considers the money leaving their wallet as an investment versus an expense. And I think that that's a key differentiator in how demographics are separated is what is the mentality of this person? How are they approaching their buying decision? Is this a necessity something that they were willing to invest in? Or is this a desire, something that they could or could not live without? And I think that that is a really important process to go through you guys while you're listening to this and considering what's your entry point or what's your, you know, a lot of the people who even have existing brands as you're listening to this, a lot of your bottlenecks has to do with not knowing who you are serving. You got started, you were excited, you blew your load all over the place. There you are, you know, naked girls in the bed and you're too excited and you lose your stuff, right? But now you're... What? <laughs> Dan Bilzerian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now you have to look, now you have to go back, retrace the steps and like, how can I approach this like a pro, right? And the professionals, the people who are really going to be a namestay in this business are spending, doing 80% of their time and attention and resources on the planning, 20% into execution. And the first step is understanding why do you want to do this? And for whom do you want to do this? 
what are their key considerations? What are their, what are the problems that they're experiencing right now that you want to, that you want to solve for them? Um, and, and more importantly, what problems are their problems causing? That yeah. It's never about the thing that's on the surface. Oh, well, I'm fat. Well, you could go to the gym and not be fat or change your eating habits and not be fat, but that's, if, if it was that easy, you would have already done it. There's something that's happening to you psychologically because you don't look or feel or get the, you know, the way that you want to look and feel, you're not getting the attention that you want to get. And that is what is the triggers, the psychological buying decision behind any one product. So you're totally on the spot. I have a specific client. We get her orders every month. She spends an average between five to $600. So, and what I notice is we have a, a very unique 3000 milligram bottle. It's pricier. I mean, it's $250, but mm -hmm. actually the price per milligram is okay. Um, it's just for a one-time purchase. Sometimes a, a normal consumer might be hesitant about it. And she, she was one of the few orders that come through that level of strength. And so we reached out to her and asked her what was going on. Like, why, why did she buy that one? And it ended up being that her, her daughter, she has epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And she found that she was getting great results would not have episodes with with this with our brand mm -hmm. so when you 're mm -hmm. able to touch a consumer to that level and make them happy like money 's not an issue like i 'm going to put so money like i 'm going to buy as much as I can for my child to be happy that that 's life changing and there 's no no price tag to that so I think whoever goes and approaches an industry like this and says, "Well, that product is pricey or not." To really look behind what you're getting, and if you're getting what's supposed to be giving you, then what, what is the issue with the price tag? Price tags always have value of or a perception of value. So that's a her story has been really impactful for me. Like I, I keep telling her over and over because it's just it's, it's amazing. So and just like yeah. I think a lot of people have it out there like that. Yeah, I think that it I think it helps to keep things into perspective when you really look at it. And you know, there's plenty of black hat black black hat folks out there who are just like churning and burning on the traffic side and, you know, truthfully doing an incredible disservice to the industry because they're just blowing out lists and putting out product that's at a lower price point and the the people who are getting access to it or buying it do not um, experience the results and so they lose faith. And but the product is a solution. Something very interesting that I want to share with the community, something that I learned in marketing that I applied here and it's giving great, great results for us. So a lot of times the entry price points are tough for a consumer. They, they, they had a bad experience with a company. They spent maybe 60, 70, $80 on a product, didn't work. Now they, they don't want to spend maybe a hundred or 150 on a good product. So when I looked at that behavior and said, okay, what do, what do we do in the marketing world? Well, you have a coach that says, Hey, buy my product for $5,000. Uh, is it going to be good or not? So what do they do? They use in marketing something called a tripwire. So if, if you build a funnel around your products, a physical funnel where you say, well, don't worry about the hundred bucks or the 70 bucks. What if they give you the opportunity to try my product for a low, 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 low entry barrier point of like $15. So what I developed is I was looking for the little bottle. I can't find it, but it's on my, on my site. We developed a little three milliliter bottle. So people can actually sample the product. It's a paid sample, but it gives the opportunity to users to say, hey, okay, let me try your brand and see if at least I like the flavor. Because a lot of people complain about flavor in CBD brands. So they get to experience three days, 150 milligrams for 15 bucks. So when I noticed that, it was like, no company is doing that in the market. 
So it's a low entry. They're like, yeah, I'll try it if I like it. And guess what? 20, 30% conversion upwards. Because people try it. They say, okay, yeah, I like that. Tastes good. I could feel maybe a little bit. But then there's, it drops the resistance to it. So it's all about being smart on your brand, on how do you want to position yourself. Never drop prices. You always have to do sales and incentivize them, but the, it, it, the price is never the issue. The issue is the trust with the brand. And once yes. the trust, they go pour thousands of dollars to you. Yes, totally agree. I totally agree. And this is a lot of how my Emerald Circle Mastermind got started. So through, and since we have the captured audience and, you know, I, we have spent a ton, a ton of time on just nurturing and educating the consumer. That was one of the huge gaps that we saw in the marketplace was everybody was starting brands, but there was no education or trusted voice to say to the consumer, like, Hey, this brand is bullshit or PS, you know, Try, if you're suffering from these things, try this strength of product. These are the brands that you can trust. So that's a lot of what we were doing. And because we have the captured audience and advertising is such a challenge in the industry, we started to attract a lot of the brands who wanted to speak to a targeted, trusted audience. Well, I would go start to go through their assets. And what I recognized was I could send you 10 clicks. I could send you 10,000 clicks at the push of a button. I can give you as much traffic as you want. Challenge is you're not ready to receive it. You don't have a net. You don't have a basket. You don't have a bucket. There's nothing there for you. Don't have an irresistible offer. You don't even know how to construct an offer. There's no follow-up sequences. There's all of this infrastructure that you need to develop digitally in order to catch the traffic. Like if you're just, starting with the product to the sale, there's a huge amount of real estate to cover there that is not yet developed. So we started to develop the mastermind and, uh, and opened up the mastermind so that we could help these folks develop you know, in-house traffic solutions, build and grow their own audiences, develop relationships with micro and macro influencers, understand how to put together an irresistible offer, how, you know, all of these different things that give people a minimal commitment that builds the trust with the brand and ultimately gets them a lifelong customer of your brand and product because of the time that you took to nurture them along in the buying process. I love how you're talking about this because I don't think that enough people are representing what it actually takes to acquire a customer. And then in the follow-up, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the follow-up piece of like, how do you connect and communicate with them once they have viewed your offer and fallen off or made a purchase with you and you know now they have to be continuously nurtured so that they buy from you again. Talk right. to me a little bit about how you access the fortune in your follow-up. Yeah, that, that is a, a great question. I think even with other brands that I've worked in the past, that's the, the weakest part of it because people think that, oh, I made a sale, great. Well, that's just the beginning because you, and, and it could have been an organic sale through posts, for example. Well, you didn't actually put money up front for that. But when you're investing to paid media, normally, the, like, I'll speak for general e-commerce, normally you kind of break even on the front end. Like your customer acquisition and all your costs and when you prorate it backwards on what, all the money you've spent in building your brand, when you get that first order, that's really pay for everything that you've done in the past. <laughs> the key is, okay, now that they bought it, how do I hook them to actually come back and buy three or four times more? 
the average consumer on the e-commerce world comes back three to four times a year to you. So if I buy $100 products, maybe $1,400, maybe $400, $500, maybe your lifetime value over a year. So you're going to be able to nurture those. And that's a key component that us, we're really starting to work even more aggressively. Email marketing mm-hmm. is still the best medium to reach to your consumers. People still open emails. We're definitely exploring techniques through messenger bots. I think messengers are a great communication tool. Sometimes it, it, the, the rules are all over the place, but it, it, it has a great reach to speak mm-hmm. with. A couple of brands, I don't think personally we're going to go this route, but a lot of brands have taken this through SMS marketing. It's a little private to really start a conversation as a brand to consumer, unless they really love you. Uh, they're going to engage back with SMS marketing. But for the general population, I would say have your proper email sequences in place. Just send them notifications, send them updates on the industry about your products, free giveaways, all that stuff to make them excited about opening that email. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think things like you're doing, bringing authority people in in the space. I think if brands like would evolve to that part, we'd say, hey, why don't you share your story with me? And, and that's something we're going to start doing. Hey, record a five-minute video. We want to feature you. We want to, we want to have that voice because it's not about a brand. A brand is made out of the people that, that use it. Those are, the one, those are going to be your ambassadors. Those are going to be the people that are going to speak about your product. And that's going to be really the free marketing that you're going to get. So if you're smart about your audiences and you bring them into your process, into your sales process, they're going to be your best ambassadors. So make them part of the culture. And that's why I initiated this conversation talking about a tribe. My biggest mentor is Tony Robbins. So uh, what he teaches you in a lot of ways from how to build your business, how to become, create a mastery out of your business, it's about creating raving fans. A fan, look, I'm, I'm speaking on a MacBook. I'm, I have an iPhone. I have an Apple Watch. Not because somebody puts, put a gun to me to say, hey, buy Apple products. Actually, there's other technologies that are better. It's just, you become a fan of it. You like it and you promote it. You talk to it like, hey, have you seen the new iPhone? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Apple pay me? No, but I'm doing a lot of free marketing for them. And if you're as a brand are able to convey that point where users are talking about you without you even asking them to do it, that's amazing. So my goal is to push, well not push, to gravitate towards that where the consumers are my voice and they're welcome every time I get a, a review, I go back to them and say, hey, thank you for that. How can we make it better? How can we help you? Because it's them that are going to make us 10 times larger. I have to I have to agree with you 100% on that. I think it's super important. Stick to what you know. And that's, that's the thing I think that Apple has done really well. It's like, stick to what you know and build a raving fan base around that. You know, Proactive spent $300 to acquire a customer because they knew over the lifespan that they'd be worth over a thousand. And so it, they, it, it didn't matter to them that they lost money on the front end for the first year and a half. By the end of the third year, they had recovered three times their investment. So um, you know, having that long scope versus that like really close up again, it's like, how do you get perspective from the artistry that you're creating right now? You have to take a step back and really get laser focused on like what kind of business that you want to build and what are the brand values and every step that you take and every piece, of, every brick that you add to the building has to be in full alignment with that. And I'm going to take it to extreme sometimes. But somebody like Kylie Jenner, I mean, she's the perfect example. She built a brand through her people. 
whatever number of million followers that he has, those are the guys that create the brand, you know? That's the reality. So, yeah. I mean, she's an extreme, maybe some- She's not so extreme. She's not inaccessible either. I'll tell you that much right now. Like, girl can be bought, okay? Love you, Kylie, but a million dollars will get me on your feed. <laughs> like, you have no filter. Actually, it's actually less. I think uh, $50,000, you can pay for her to advertise your product. So, yeah, I think, I, I think it's seven figures for Kim, you know, and I think for Kylie as well, but the other girls, you can definitely get on their feed really easy. You get the money, you can get them, get, get their endorsement. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business decision now. It's not. Yeah, totally. Well, that's a lot of what we've done. We created a raving fan base. And because of that, we're able to offer a lot more value and diversify the offers that we make into the marketplace. And we're directly positioned to be with our own internal ecosystem. And a lot of what we specialize in helping other brands duplicate are the results that we've been able to get. We haven't, we've been made, and ours was a long-term strategy. What do we need to invest now to be able to generate income, you know, two years, three years from now? And I'm telling you what we invested on the first, you know, in the first 12 months, I've gotten back four or five fold in, you know, the third year and that having that foresight and just being really committed to what you want to do. I, it, it all starts with the audience. Harpo was where Oprah made her money, but she built her brand through her followers and raving fan addicts. She built a culture within those fans on the Oprah show. So she took, you know, maybe she worked for somebody else in another network for, you know, whatever, 25 years. But when she built Harpo, that's when she hit, became the first African-American self-made billionaire. So that, those are, think exponentially around the way that you're, you know, approaching your brand. And for those of you guys who are consumers, make sure that you are subscribing and paying attention to the people who are behind the products that you are buying. There is a certain amount of passion and purpose that goes behind each one of these things. And your hard-earned money is your choice on where you send it. So I would recommend that you check out brands like Hoopla who have somebody in the background really thinking about you as a person and not as a consumer of their brand or product. Um, I would love to know from you, because I ask everybody these questions and I, it's always a mixed bag of answers, but what are three sort of bottlenecks or roadblocks in your, um, in your business right now that's making you hit a glass ceiling? I definitely say Facebook. <laughs> so advertise Facebook and advertise is advertising fall into that or just hey, if I, do, I do for other brands on, on my on Facebook. Like we had a client that we hit 40 rollouts, four zero. I'm not, not, you're not hearing it wrong. 40 rollouts last month. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine how would that change anybody's business, anybody's life. If you have that. Like, it's just unconcealed mathematically. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So uh, Facebook is definitely bold. I, I think that, and I'll speak Facebook as any paid media. The approach that we have is we can't get to the right audiences. And I'll say the right audiences just in a very natural way that like any other brand. I think um, legislation needs to loosen up a little bit and not necessarily legislation, but incorporative with private uh, corporations. They need to- yeah up a little bit on that aspect. That's a, I, I would say that number one. Uh, number two is just, I would love, one of the things that I've encountered in the CBD space is there's no, it's, it's a wild, wild west. And it's just like, it reminds me of how 
the cryptocurrency space was two years ago where all yeah. the ICOs were popping like crazy. Like I would just turn on my computer, create an ICO and put it and make a million dollars. And so many people got scammed because of all of that. Yeah. I think I'm not talking about strict regulation, but I, I, I'm talking about standardization and key guidelines of what you should, should be out there on the market, which products should be kicked out, which should be allowed. And just like in supplements, there's, there's a, uh, a little bit of guidance. It's still a gray area in supplements, but something to benchmark and say, hey, at least you're compliant with A, B, C, D, E as a company. You're safe. Your products, you're not lying to consumers. When I see 1,500 milligram product being sold for like $40, like on Amazon, what, what am I getting into my body? And I'm going to put a video out there on YouTube about all of this. Like people don't even know what they're buying. So that <laughs> consumer protection, I think it's important. It's not hitting a bottleneck, but it's really making me uncomfortable where anybody can put a sticker and, and do anything and sell it without any repercussions. And I don't like that. Yeah. A... Yeah. And finally, I don't know, maybe more, um, probably it's not going to hit, it's not hitting the bottleneck, but I, I do see this contraction coming up where the market is abusing infusing CBD into everything and anything that they can there's a there's a time and place for things and it's like now you you end up seeing carbonated drinks and all these things that go against traditional health like okay you're yeah you're supposed to have something healthy and you're combining it with something unhealthy like CBD like, coke <laughs> right? don't get me wrong like well, it doesn't make sense now I want to say like right now I'm, I'm gonna launch the market uh, 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 CBD coffee so we have a nanotechnology, we're creating powder out of the CBD, so we're combining it with the coffee, it tastes great. And I'm testing that on my body and seeing, okay, how do I feel? I drink a lot of coffee on a daily basis, you were saying that earlier. Is that relaxing me? Is that just making, is it neutralizing that effect or not? Because naturally you might say, well, why would you combine caffeine with, coffee, with CBD? Why not? If it can provide you that focus, why not? So we developed a few products out of that combining but it's, it's a re it's a research based combination rather than, Oh, I'm going to put it on beer just because, well, why there's like, you're, you're misleading the consumers. They're not going to get any benefit out of it. So I, I, I yeah, they're treating it as a marketing gimmick right now, rather than an actual, you know, and, and I think for those of you guys who are listening, who are consumers, you are real people too, but I think you guys are savvy. <laughs> I think that marketing gimmicks and games are like, they're over with, you know, and the big brand loyalty, like Coors and Wrigley's and Jelly Belly and, you know, Coca-Cola. And I'm like shouting out all of these big name brands who have recently announced their involvement with cannabis or hemp. I think that they're going to have brand loyalty and the Middle Earth or the Homer Simpsons of the world are going to get access to it. And maybe they're going to feel something and maybe they're not. And when we look at like, again, what is the demographic that we honestly want to serve and the difference that we're actually making it, it comes into like, you know, what are those key pain points that we're solving for? And maybe the Homer Simpsons are not it, you know, they're not going to be the ones because no matter how much CBD or cannabis you take, if you're eating fucking tacos and, and goddamn uh, McDonald's, like your ass is still going to be fat and you're still going to be constipated at the end of the week. Like no amount of CBD or cannabis is going to change that. Okay. For me, it's like an entourage effect of habits and health. Like what do you want to, what kind of results do you want to create? Cause cannabis and CBD can help 
create those results, but it takes really conscious self-care consideration. Like what do I do on a daily basis that help to cultivate the environment in my own body and ecosystem that will allow me to thrive instead of just survive. And that's the game, guys. Life is a game of survival or thriving. Which yeah. one, which path do you want to pick? They're both cool, but one of them is game over a little bit earlier than the next, unless you're one of those crazy bionic people who can do whatever they want for their whole lives and live until they're 99. Absolutely. I love it. Closing, closing thoughts on that. Um, as <laughs> we bring our show to, excuse as I get my hair out of whack and being passionate about this, but I talk to the consumers every day where they're just like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I uh, have a head, I have migraines and I'm crippled and I have arthritis. And I'm like, cool, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your, what are you doing on a daily basis? Well, I drink four cups of coffee. No, I don't drink any water. I like to drink, you know, sun tea or sweet tea and I'm eating a full carbonate carb diet. And I'm like, cool, which one of these do we want to eliminate first? Cause you know, my CBD is not going to help that. Look, for example, a perfect example of that is something that trended a long while, which is uh, CBD gummies. Nothing wrong. We have them in our portfolio because people want them. But from a holistic standpoint, I think that defeats my purpose of trying to help people because at the end you're getting sugars, you're getting things that you don't want to just because they want to have a fun with the product. At the end, this is a, this is a healthy trend. You treat it, treat it responsibly with that. Just don't make it, don't infuse it into products that are not going to make, make it better because you as an end consumer, you're just blowing your money. You're buying expensive $5 CBD bottle waters. Hey, if you want to blow your money, that's fine. But just blow it in my direction. <laughs> Our book. No. <laughs> yeah, if you want to blow your money in my direction, I'll help you make a wish. <laughs> make, make conscious decisions. That's that's as as a brand uh, was told that. Hey, if it's mine or if it's my competitor's, cool. As long as it was an informed decision and it was not because you were being misled with some false statements or promises of, of a benefit. Yeah, totally. I just say, you know, for those of you who are consumers and brand owners and budding entrepreneurs, get informed, be informed, get educated, be educated. Don't be a part of the problem that this industry already have, which is a bunch of knuckleheads with a freaking daddy's credit card trying to get started in this space, making it happen. And I, I, I'm not downplaying the people who are actually making traction. Like I get everybody's out here working really hard and wanting to make a difference. And at the same time, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Be really cognizant and considerate and conscientious of the choices that you're making, the, the businesses that you're building, the brands that you are promoting, you know, and the audience that you are serving. And I think that as an industry, we can help hold each other accountable as we self-govern our way through to bridge the gap between the time that, you know, these these untrusted government agencies that quite literally the hemp revolution is the biggest disruption to healthcare that we will ever witness. And the other big business industries are right behind it. You know, for years, the hippies, quote unquote, have been advocating for the difference that hemp fuel, that hemp you know, construction, that hemp clothing, that all of these different things can transform. Cannabis and hemp are a part of the biggest cash rich 
fastest growing industry in the world right now, in our lifetime, we will not see a different wealth opportunity that we will have to take advantage of that has such little barrier to entry. And unless you would empower and educate yourself with the truth about hemp and cannabis, it'll be difficult for you to navigate your way through the inevitable challenges that will both promote and prevent your success. So those are my closing thoughts on today's interview, Marco, anything else? No, it's been a pleasure having you, well, being here with you talking and with your audience. So if anything, guys, free access. I always give that my contact to people. So you'll have my information, any questions you have in the industry about us, about our transparency. That's my number one thing as a company. I want to be transparent and provide good quality products to people because I value my health. And just like I keep my health, I, I want people to take care of theirs. So you're more than welcome to be part of this tribe. Love it. And where can they find you? Our website is called simplyhoopla.com. That's simply, S-I-M-P-L-Y. Hoopla is H-O-O-P-L-A, hoopla.com. And the email is just hello at, so hello at simplyhoopla.com. That's the main inbox. We get distributed, so we all get it. And we can read any, any comments that you guys have, so. I love it. Well, thank you. And to the Hoopla team, we're so excited to have you guys on. You guys make sure that you check out the blog highlights from today's interview and check out uh, simplyhoopla.com to find out more about how and who you or how and what you should be using from the Hoopla suite. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. This is the Hemp Revolution. And if you guys are considering getting into the industry or already into the industry, check us out on the emeraldcircle.com. If you're a consumer looking for the best products that you can trust to deliver the reliable results you're looking for, medicalsecrets.com is just for you. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and we'll see you guys on our next show. Take care. Thanks for listening to another Rockstar episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. And just for you, we took notes on this episode along with the links and other resources mentioned inside of today's show. Get them for free right now by going to theemeraldcircle.com. Now, if you want more on this, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast or wherever you like to listen, and you will be automatically entered in to our monthly giveaway where you can get swag bags, all kinds of cool gifts and discounts from our guests, and exclusive offers that are only mentioned right here in the Hemp Revolution podcast. I can't wait for you to share this with your friends. With your help, we've been able to impact millions of people's lives around the world with the truth about hemp and cannabis. And we know that you love us so much that you're going to leave a review and rate us right now on your favorite platform to absorb content just like this. Now, we challenge you to dream big and love the life that you live. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on our next episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. Ciao for now.